Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. So good morning. It's good to be here. Good morning. That was a, that was a friendly, very friendly good morning. <clears throat> okay, so this morning we're talking about Generosity, as it says, uh, what does that mean? And I think a helpful way of talking about this is actually through a proverb. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 11, verse 10, it says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. If you think about it, there's a lot to that. And kind of evokes all sorts of questions. But first I want to tell you a story. Oops, I'll stay on this one. A story from my own life. Some of you know, for those who don't, half of my life, well, in terms of time, is I work for New Day as a pastor. The other half is I run a painting business, so I spend some time painting homes, interior, exterior, all that stuff. Doesn't, it's not a pitch for you to ask me for work. It's just I'm just saying. So, I do that, and, and, uh, and so this summer, early, late spring, I get a call for this really big quote, a really big job about an hour away, and like 10, 20 times bigger than anything I've ever done. And I had no idea how to approach it, like how do I quote something this big? I'm just me, I have to hire some people, how do I accommodate for that, to travel, all these variables, and I'm, but I feel like this could be a good opportunity. And so I sit down at my desk, I try to do all the math, take in the variables, and just say, kind of come up with a number, and I, I submit it. A week or two later, I get a call back saying, hey, you got the job, super happy, exciting. I start the job. Uh, I had, at that point, I had hired two people just for this particular summer, and a week into it, I realized, like, this, this pit of my stomach, like, I've severely underestimated this job. Like, I, I really missed it, and I'm a week in, and this is a couple months of a job, and I'm doing the, I, 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 I tell this is going to be bad. So I call the general contractor, and I let him know, like a little, I felt like a little kid, like, uh, excuse me, I don't know, I don't know how this happened, but I really missed this. What should I do? <laughs> is he supposed to tell me what to do? And he goes, well, I mean, I, so he went back to the, he, to the owner, and he, call, and he talks to him, and he goes, well, we're, we just, we can't renegotiate with the owner at this point. We've already signed the contracts, and so, Essentially, I'm left with the options. Either I walk off, I walk off the job, and, you know, that's, I just have to figure that out, or I stick with the, the quote that I gave and, and just trust the Lord to see it through and make, make, make it work out, even though just in the numbers themselves, it, it, I could tell it was heading towards a big fat zero. So I decide to, to take the latter route, take, try to take the higher road, stick with the quote, couple months into it, I'm getting to a point where I'm like, all right, I have no more money. <laughs> Something's got to change here. And so just then, actually right in that same week, I get a call from the owner, not the general contractor, but the owner, and he says, hey, Jimmy, I realize, and I had got to know him a little bit, but everything was through the general. And he goes, hey, I realize that it's taking longer than you expected. I realize that uh, things are Things are just, you're running into a couple issues, and I just want you to know that this Friday I'm going to be coming down, and I want to give you, I want to write you a check for $10,000. And 
and my, my jaw hits the floor, right? I'm just like, uh, wow. You don't have to. I mean, thank you. Uh, and I'm just, you know, fumbling over my words, trying to think of, like, how do I respond to this type of generosity? Like, this type of extravagance, like, completely unexpected, completely off my radar. I knew that God was going to provide in some way, but at this point I was like kind of in the weeds, not really thinking about what that looked like, just needing some sort of thing to change. And, and I get this fat check dropped into my lap. And what it did was it, it opened up Chloe and I to this idea of, of being a generous people. Like, like respond, when you receive that sort of generosity, it's hard not to respond in some way in, in like manner. Like I just got this, this guy just was just given this thing, and now I just I have, to, I have to let it flow out of me in some way. I have to give something to somebody just because I can't help it. It's something that I just I need to, to respond and just be likewise. Right? When, we, when we're on the receiving end of an act of extreme generosity, there's, there's something in us that just can't help but, but respond and to give in, a, in an extravagant way. And so I want to define generosity this morning just as this idea of, of being ready, of, of being characterized by a readiness to give more of something than strictly necessary or expected, more of something. That could be your, your, your money, which is often the way we talk about it, but it could also be more than that. It could be your time. It could be your, your, your resources, your education, your, your vocational skills, you think about it in terms of three T's, it's kind of a helpful alliteration. Your time, your talents, your treasure. What time do you have? What talents do you have? What gifts and abilities and resources vocationally? And then what sort of treasure, what sort of money and resource and assets do you have? In all these ways, we have the opportunity to be generous. And in fact, our generosity as Christians is always a response to the extravagant generosity of God. And so the more we're refreshed, the more we can take in the ways in which God's been generous to us in, in every area of our life, the more we can then be a vehicle, be a mechanism of generosity in our time, our talents, and our treasure to the world. And so going back to this, this proverb, right? Proverbs 11.10, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. It's who is prospering that makes all the difference in the world. It's because it's the righteous that are prospering that the city is rejoicing. You can think about it kind of in a way where it's, it's a different group. Say it's just a group. You have a city and a group is prospering. One group has all the wealth. One group has, is on top. One group has the education and the economic resource and the power and the privilege and the, and the health. The city, right, in that sense would be, would kind of be jealous, resentful, envious, in an uproar, the rich keep getting richer, the poor are poorer. We've heard this, right? This is, the, this is how you can imagine it being in, in, in a system or in, in, a, in a city where one group is, is on top and all the other groups are, are not. But, but in here, it's, it's because there's, there's this one group and they're the righteous ones that because the, they're who they are, the whole city's happy about it. The whole city's excited. The whole city's winning because the righteous are prospering, and it doesn't stop with them. It flows out of them because they see themselves as a conduit, as a mechanism, as a vehicle through which God wants to bless the whole city. And so we want to ask three questions just through this simple proverb. 
Who's prospering? Again, that makes all the difference. Who's rejoicing? What is is the city? What does that mean? And then, who's righteous? Who's prospering? Who's rejoicing? Who's righteous? This first question, again, we alluded to it. Who's prospering? It is the righteous or the just ones. So to give you a little language kind of crash course, in Hebrew and in Greek, the word justice and the word righteousness are the same word. We think about them often as two kind of different ideas. Right? There's, there's, there's righteousness, which is moral chastity, which is moral purity, which is obeying and, and being a good person, not sinning, if you will, like being righteous. And then we have, and that's often, right, if we're honest, thought of as a conservative value. Right? Conservative in our sexual ethic, conservative in our, in our family ethic. And then you have justice, right? Justice, which is, which is often thought of as a social obligation to take care of the less fortunate, to take care of the needy and the, and the vulnerable. Uh, a theologian, Nicholas Wolterstorff, calls it the quartet of the vulnerable. There's the poor, there's the widows, there's the orphans, and there's the immigrants. Through Job's argument, Job's defense before God of his innocence was, was those four things. I've taken care of the widow. I've clothed and fed the orphan. I've, I've taken care of the poor, and I've defended the rights of the immigrant. Those are the four things that Job defends before God as, as an aspect of his, his being a person of justice in the world. We think of justice often as, as a liberal, as a kind of a progressive value. Somehow, it's, that's a social concern. But, so we have these two sides, but with this one word, sadiq, or the sadikim, it's both. It's both justice and righteousness wrapped up into one. It's wrapped up in the one thing, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so the more we kind of try to split them and divorce them, the more we're actually being inauthentic to the actual idea because it's holistic. It's the full person. If you define righteousness or justice as, or to be a righteous one or to be a just one, as those who seek to live in right relationships among all things in the created order of things, then you have a holistic vision of what it looks like to be right before God, to be right in right standing, and we know that's through Jesus. We'll get to that. But also to be to seek right relationships among people in in society, to where there to where where there's a system of, of oppression or where there's a system of injustice or where where there's something broken. It's actually the righteous ones who actually see it and and and, and call it out and redeem it. It's it's both, and the more we bifurcate it, the more we kind of are, are buying into a cultural system more than the kingdom value. And so, Tim Keller, brilliant author, theologian, pastor from New York, he says it like this. According to the book of Proverbs, if you just look at it, the way it's talked about, the righteous in the book of Proverbs are by definition those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the community. While the wicked in the book of Proverbs are those who put their own economic, social, personal needs ahead of the needs of the community. That is severely challenging to our concept of American individualism, right? There's something deeply communal and personal and social about the way that Proverbs talks about the upright and the wicked, the righteous and the fool. And I think he captures it well. If we go back to Genesis 12, to God's calling out of Abraham, who at this point is just a, 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 a wanderer in the, the, the countryside of greater Israel. 
He calls out Abram at this point. Out of, out of all the people, he says, this one man, he says, says to him this. Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, will be a ble- and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, Abraham's given this, this uh, essentially commission to, to drop everything, go, and that, th- and that God's going to bless this man, Abraham, and that through Abraham, Abraham is actually going to be a mechanism by which God uses to bless the nations, to bless all who would come after him. That's, that's what we're talking about here, is to, is to where the blessing is given and it flows to where we're not, we're not to stop, but we're actually the, the vehicle, the mechanism, the, the conduit of God's blessing through our generosity, time, talents, treasure to the world. All people will be blessed through you. Uh, Richard Foster, Quaker, contemplative kind of theologian, he has a book called The Freedom of Simplicity, which is just a dagger straight to the heart of of consumerism and all this stuff. And it, you could read it and be deeply impacted. But one thing that I found that he says it like this is really helpful. He says, God's blessing, again, hearkening back to, to Abraham, Genesis 12, God's blessing is not for personal aggrandizement, which is kind of making yourself bigger, bigger houses, bigger cars, bigger storage units, and we'll get there, but to benefit and bless all the peoples of the earth. To understand this distinction makes all the difference in the world. The theology of wealth says, I give so that I can get. The reason that I give is so that I can get more. Christian simplicity says, I get so that I can give. The difference is profound. I think there's something here for us this morning when we think about the heart level motivation of why we're generous. Why Give like why be generous? Is it so that I can actually get more stuff? So that I need to need to you know get a self storage unit? <laughs> or is it so that I can one enjoy God's blessing, good Father pouring out blessing, love His children, I enjoy it, not feel bad about having stuff and, and, and being lavished with love, but also recognize that I've been given, I've been privileged, I've been, uh, what's the word, Pros- I'm prospering so that I can be a blessing, right, to my city, to my neighborhood, to my church, to my workplace, to see, see it as a, as a, as a to, to see yourself as a vehicle of God's presence, God's blessing, God's ways, the right ways going out into the earth. So, uh, one, one author says it like this. Spirit of generosity is simply not something you can produce by establishing a standard. Uh, so, for instance, the tithes. This is, this is what we would call a standard. This is a 10%, right? Just give 10% of your money to the church. Everything's God's. Just, if you could do that, that would be really nice. We think about it like that. I'm not, I, I think the tithe is a great principle. I think it's biblical. I think it's helpful. But if we think about it, 
it's, a, it's an external standard by which we measure our, our generosity. What would it look like for a spirit of generosity to well up to where no standard is, is to measure it, but it's, a, it's just a spirit of response to God and his great love, to God and his generosity for us. The only thing we can do is just, is just give it away. And it's not just money, right? It's, it's, it's love. If God's been generous in his love, I need to give that love away. If God's been generous in his grace, I need to give that grace away. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. That's the flow. As you have been to me, God, so I will be to others. So if you look at it, in the book of, or in the Gospels, that is, Jesus talks about numbers in a couple different ways. To one man, he says, give 100%. Give all that you have. He's talking to the rich young ruler, Luke 18. He says to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And so talk about a radical call to discipleship. This guy has a lot of money. He walks away sad and grieving because he had a lot of things he wasn't willing to let go of. Jesus calls for 100% in this instance. So is that, a, is that the standard? To sell all that we have and give it away and, and have nothing and follow Jesus? I don't think that's the point of the story, but here's, here's one standard we could use. Zacchaeus, Luke 19, Jesus invites himself over to be at the house of Zacchaeus, uh, a known chief tax collector in that area. And, uh, and, Z- and Zacchaeus pipes up, kind of, you kind of there's, a, there's a split in the, in the narrative. You don't know what kind of conversations at play, but, but Zacchaeus at some point stands up and says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And so here, as a response to encountering Jesus, we see, G- we see Zacchaeus' generosity as half, half of everything that I own. Of course, he was a, kind of a, a, a tax collector, notorious for, for you know, ripping people off. And so he probably had a lot of stuff. He probably had his barns or his storage units that, that he had. So he's going to sell half of it and give it away. And then uh, Jesus commends, in, in a sort of backhanded way, the Pharisees for tithing. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you tithe mint, dill, cumin, and, you've de- and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done, that is, tithe, tithe, that's good, do that, without neglecting the others, without neglecting the weightier matters. But in a sense, Jesus is commending, he's, he's exhorting, he's saying, yes, that's good, you're tithing, that's good, but there's more. And so again, the standard, what, 100%, 50%, 10%, what's the standard? No, it's the spirit of generosity to well up in us to say, to look at the way that God's been generous to us and to say, as you've been to me, so I'll be to others. So that's a quick kind of overview of who is, who's righteous. What does it look like for the righteous? Uh, what does it look like for those who are prospering to be righteous? What sorts of things were they doing? Now, who's, who's rejoicing? It's, it's not complicated in this sense. It's just the city. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Who's, pro- who's rejoicing? It's, it's the city. It's the, it's the people. It's everybody else. It's your neighborhood. It's your, your workplace. The places you live, work, and, and recreate. 
neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, the places we shop, eat, and live. It's the parts of our community that we go through, and it's the parts of our community we go around. It's, it's our city. It's our, it's our area. It's where we live and move and where God situated us. It's the city. The word rejoice here is important. It's not just a kind of a happy birthday sort of rejoicing where it's just like, yay, happy birthday. No, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a military victory. Like, like we were going to be defeated, but we won. Like it's like a VE day. Like we have won, the war is over. We're rejoicing in the streets. It's just sort of like, kind of brain-rattling rejoicing that says, what would make a people rejoice like that? It must be something very special. It must be something very powerful and important that the, that the city is rejoicing in this way. The righteous must be uh, undoing yokes. They must be bringing healing. They must be undoing generational bondage. They must be breaking something off of a people that's been in, in exile, that's been in kind of oppression in some way. There's rejoicing and it's in, it's in the city, it's in the places that you work, live, and all the rest. And so then the question is, who, who's righteous? If the righteous are prospering and the city is rejoicing, then who is, who is it that's righteous? Who's making the city do this? Who is it that's making the cities sing hallelujah? Like, who is it? That, like, we need to think about that because that's the challenging question. And I think we can find it when we look to Jesus. Right? When we look to Jesus, we can see the ways that the people responded to him was like, who is this man? Who is this man? Awe and wonder and praise. If we go back to Keller's definitions, just as a, as a framework, the righteous are those who, will, who are willing to disadvantage themselves. The wicked are put their own needs before the needs of the community. We have in Philippians uh, 2, it's not going to be up on the screen, but I'll read it for you, a description of Jesus by Paul that fits quite well in this first description. It says, who, Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, that is, he laid aside his privileges. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is... There's a thousand things you could read and say about Jesus, but, but to point out that he is the one who, who disadvantages himself from heaven to earth so that the city would ultimately rejoice, so that a people would be ultimately redeemed unto himself. He went to the extent where he laid aside all of his divine privileges and humbled himself. Like He is the righteous one. We don't have to be and, and strive and... and he is the righteous one, and we are the rejoicing city. Like, like, first and foremost, he is the one who's done it. He is the one who, in his prosperity, has given it out. Right? He didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. He gave it all. 
and we're the recipients of it, and we can rejoice. Right? We, can, we can sing hallelujah because he's paid it, because he's done it. That's what this is about. The wicked, right, the wicked, when, when, we, just, when we just look at our own disposition, just, just in, our, in and of ourselves, apart from the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, just in, in, the, in our natural state, I think Romans 3 diagnoses it well when it says, there are none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. No one does good, not even one. This is Paul quoting both Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 to make the point that whether you're Jew or Greek, there's a righteousness that you, that you don't have the capacity for because Jesus alone carries it. That despite your best efforts and intentions, there's something crooked and broken in you that only Jesus can redeem, that only Jesus can fix. And it's through the work of Jesus on the cross that he gives us both the power to, to do likewise and the grace to be forgiven in our, in our shortcomings. Jesus is the righteous one. My mic fell. So, the, the prayer, as we've mentioned, as you've been to me, so I will be to others. This is the flow. Like This is the, the mediation of the blessing, the Abrahamic blessing. I will bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. As you have been to me, as you have blessed me, so I will bless others. So I will be to others. That's the flow of generosity. Because if the righteous weren't generous, then they would be Wicked, right? They, if, if we're looking at that description, that's what makes the righteous righteous is their generosity. That's what makes them righteous because they give, because they, they live this, this divine mediation of blessing into the world where they're bringing foretastes of the kingdom of God into reality in, in simple and beautiful ways. That's what it looks like. And so the question is, what do you have? We'll look at 2 Corinthians as a, as, a, as, a, as a kind of a landing spot. Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to give a big donation to the Jerusalem church because they're in great need. And the Corinthians said they would do it, so now he's like, all right, now do it. And he says, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your, he, he, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Just as there was a readiness to desire it, that is generosity, right? Generosity is a readiness to give more than expected. Just as there was a readiness to desire it, may there also be a completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so the, the, the invitation is to be generous, not according to what you don't have and wish you had and are envious of what others have, but it's an invitation to be generous with what you have. And so the question is, what do you, what do you have that you, can, that you can respond with, that you can just can give freely as it's been given freely to you? Maybe you have some time. 
and you have, you know of a mom with kids who, who doesn't get any, any time to go shopping or free time, and maybe you just say, hey, can I, can I just bless you? Can I just watch your kids for you while you go grocery shopping or while you... <laughs> Come on! My, Chloe gave me that idea, so... That's a simple way to, to bless somebody with a resource that you have, which is time. Maybe you have knowledge in a certain area and you, you use it. Maybe you get paid to use that knowledge for your own advantage and for the advantage of the company and that's great. What would it look like to use that knowledge, that skill, that vocational capability and, and use it to bless maybe, maybe somebody who's just starting a business or maybe somebody who's just kind of out of college and, and, and needs some advice, needs some wisdom and counsel and how to move through certain decisions, and, and maybe you even have the financial ability to support and invest in a, in a new endeavor that somebody is going after and doesn't have any resource for, to, to rejoice the city, to, to bring about a sense of praise and thankfulness in the, in the people, in the community, with the, the time, talent, treasure you've been given. Uh, maybe, you know, you can get creative and start like a like a start something, like start a system of, of generosity that flows. And some, I just, there's a ton of ways, and I just trust the Spirit to, to open up our imaginations, not to say, what, what do I have to give and still be okay? But to say, what do I have that I could give? And just to begin to think, just to begin to open up our minds and think, what do I have that I could give? How can I love people well? How can I respond to the love and the grace and the generosity of God with love and grace and generosity towards the city? The city being the community that we live in and the community we go around.